This morning, we're continuing our sermon series on unity. And you might not always think about uh, the work a pastor has to do to put together a sermon and put together a sermon series. But one of the struggles I've had in putting this series together is that uh, there's too many passages in Scripture to pick from, and we just can't do them all. It's one of the, the Old Testament, but the New Testament especially, is preoccupied with the topic of unity. It's such an important piece to, uh, to, the, to the story of Scripture. And, and the, the primary image that the New Testament uses is that we are the body of Christ. And what a terrible thing it is when the Christ's body is broken. I joked uh, a minute ago about uh, always noticing Kaylee in a crowd. But that there's a piece about that image of God that is so important. It transforms the way we see the world. When we see someone we love, if it's a spouse or a friend or a child or a parent or a grandparent, someone we honor, we always notice them first. A few weeks ago, I had a chance to visit with Hank and Hannah Dunnewald before Hannah went home to be with the Lord. During my visit, Hannah was very quiet and disconnected as she had been for several weeks in fact, the only, there was only one time that Hannah responded at all during my visit. It was when Hank leaned over and he sang in her ear a hymn from her childhood, Gott ist die Liebe, God is love, in German. It was a beautiful moment of love between the two of them. As we open up First Corinthians, or excuse me, Colossians chapter 1, Paul is sharing a beautiful hymn with the Christians in Colossae. Like Hank to his wife, Paul so beautifully and lovingly wants to stir their hearts to respond. Of course, we don't know the tune and the, the, the rhyming and, and the uh, rhythm has been lost in translation. But these are the words of the song that the Apostle Paul quotes as we begin our, or as we read our text this morning. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to read verses 15 through 23. And then we'll pick up uh, a few of the other verses later in the sermon. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. For he is before all things, and in him all things hold together And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself, reconcile to himself all things, whether things in earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." That's the end of the song. And then Paul picks it up in these last verses. He says, Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you through Christ's physical body, through death, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope that he laid out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, 
of which I, Paul, became a servant. So far, the reading of God's word. Last week, I shared with you, or I shared with a group that was gathered here, not on Sunday, that who we are dramatically influences how we see God and how we see ourselves and others. Reformed theology, the the historical background of the Christian Reformed Church and of many people who are a part of our congregation, Reformed theology has led many of us in the major ethnic group especially to see ourselves first with guilt and to see other people with cynicism. Many of us have been shaped by the doctrine of total depravity in the canons of Dork. We think of people first as sinners. We have guilty feelings about ourselves. And they're reinforced every time we see something good, but we're too busy or too tired to participate. Our cynicism for others is reinforced every time we see the news, every time we see people do wrong to each other. And if we're honest, that happens a lot of the time. We're stuck, some of us, in a cycle of guilt and cynicism. Other ethnic groups may not fully understand that feeling. But their theological approaches may hold the answer for all of us. The answer for all of us to be united by beginning somewhere new. So what if this morning... What if instead of beginning the way that some of us at least regularly begin, what if we begin focused on Christ, the way that the Apostle Paul does, the way he begins his letter? I would hazard a guess that most of you, if not all of you, most of us, myself included, we've spent some time this week, some minutes, maybe even some hours, reflecting and obsessing maybe even on the rottenness of people. And not just the rottenness of people in general, but the very specific ways in which other people were rotten to you. They brought shame and difficulty on you, even when you didn't deserve it. Now pause for a moment. When was the last time you took that same amount of time, those minutes and those hours, and simply adored Jesus Christ? Not in worship, but in the quietness, not in public worship, but in the quietness of your own heart. Imagine what would happen if those minutes and those hours, you, if in those minutes and hours you meditated on Christ and on his supremacy. If you rejoiced in wonder that this glorious Christ has made the church, the called, the called out ones, that he has made us his body. Imagine what would happen if you focused on his glory and mercy, if you praised him for his reconciling work, and not not just his work in general, but his work specifically to you and for you, even when you didn't deserve it. Last week I said it would be hard for the church and for any church, and our church in particular, it would be hard for us to be divided. It would be hard for us to come untied if we busied ourselves with God's mission. This week, I want to suggest that it will be impossible for us to become divided, to become untied if we are obsessed 
with God's glory. If we're always looking for ways to see and to celebrate the image of God in us as individuals, as families, and in others. When we think about our human view of people, things have not changed much over the years and even across cultures. White people, Asian people, African people, Hispanic people, black people, every culture divides people into groups and evaluates our relationships accordingly. Education, performance or ability, appearance, gender, family lineage or ancestry, financial wealth, the metrics of how we divide ourselves change between cultures and between groups. But this human way of being and of organizing ourselves is so ingrained that much of the time we make these value judgments without even thinking about them. We might forget that even Jesus himself was discriminated against by his own neighbors. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus returns to Nazareth, to his hometown, and his neighbors won't believe what he's become. They ask themselves, isn't this the carpenter's son? And then they try and stone him. And stoning in Jesus' day was not about death. It was about removing someone from the community. They think Jesus' new job, his new role has gone to his head. He doesn't know his place, they say to themselves. Not much has changed. Such discrimination continues today in every land in our world. But Christ designed his church to be different. Different from every land in our world. In his book uh, called Until Unity, Francis Chan reminds us that being a Christian means that Christ has entered you. He has filled you with his love and is pouring his life through you to the people around you. If you've experienced the life-changing love of Jesus, you will be overflowing with love for God and others. It's that simple. If you're prone to division and disunity, if you're having a hard time loving your brothers and sisters, then you have to ask the question, has his spirit really entered me? End quote. Simply put, God's view of his people is revolutionary. Did you know, even in the Old Testament, when you walked into the temple, you were leaving earth and entering heaven. The Old Testament temple was designed after the heavenly throne room of God. It was designed to be like that. The Ark of the Covenant was God's throne, and only the priests could enter because they were not just walking into another room. They were walking into heaven itself. And so they had to be washed. They had to be cleansed. They had to be purified. They had to put on special clothes. Then they could enter. Then they could enter the kingdom of heaven, the presence of God, the king. Now that you know this, and we're not going to spend much more time with it, but with that in mind, read the Apostle Paul's words in Galatians chapter 3. He says, all of you were washed or baptized into Christ. And all of you have been clothed or clothed yourselves with Christ. 
Paul is picking up on this Old Testament priestly imagery to remind himself that it's not the special, or to, to remind the Galatians that it's not the special few who enter into God's presence, but everyone who is a part of God's family, everyone who is an image bearer of God and who has clothed themselves with Christ. Then he says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. There is not male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The church, God's people called out from the world, has been washed. The special clothes we put on is Christ himself. When God looks at us, he doesn't see us the way that the world sees us. He sees that we are a part of Christ's family. We are a part of his body. We're no longer, no longer do we bear the shame of our past sins. We are not the sum of the things we have done wrong. We are washed. We are clean. We, uh, the, the dirt and the shame and the nakedness has been removed. We have been brought new clothes and made to be a part of God's family, to share with him in his glory. This is the new community that our vision reflects. When we reach out, when we draw in and create Mosaic community, we're operating from God's view of people and God's view of community. No longer do we evaluate or value people based on the metrics of our world. We are one in Christ Jesus. We're united as equal partners in the inheritance of God's kingdom and in membership in God's family. As an aside, do you want to know why we have focused so much on the creating mosaic community part of our vision? Word gets around. I know some of you want to know. It's very simple. Because when we reach out and draw in, the very first question people are going to ask is, what are you inviting me to? What are you inviting me to? God invites his people to be a community where we do not lose our ethnicity. We don't lose our socioeconomic status, our gender, or our generation group. Instead, those things that Paul mentions that used to divide us now remind us of the many different facets and aspects of the image of God. That's like turning a beautiful diamond around. And each time you move it slightly, seeing a different aspect of it, a different way that the light shoots through it. And each turn more beautiful than the last. So we do not begin with guilt. We begin with Christ. We do not approach one another with cynicism or with suspicion. We see in each other another opportunity to meet the image of God in a beautiful way, and a new way. This is why we give special attention to those who have special needs. The body works to ensure that we all can share equally in the joy and love of the family of God here on earth. Because Christ has assured us that we will all share in the joy and love of the family of God equally in heaven. In short, we will all be, or we have been transformed by the image of God in us 
and in our midst. And we will continue to be transformed. That's what it means for us to be united. Again, in this book, Until Unity, Francis Chan tells an, an imaginative story. He references Jesus meeting the rich young ruler and then Zacchaeus back to back in Luke's gospel. The rich young ruler shows that he's lukewarm. He's not interested in giving his life over to Jesus or having his life changed. He doesn't see the worth of Jesus. On the other hand, Zacchaeus receives Jesus with joy. He's so overcome by his encounter with Jesus that he spontaneously decides that he's going to give away half of everything he has. And what's more, anyone he's cheated, he will repay them four times what he's taken. Zacchaeus, Luke tells us, is welcomed into the family of God while the rich young ruler goes away ashamed and disgraced because his self-righteousness was rejected. And so Francis Chan invites us to imagine that these two men join the same church and they show up at the same small group. This is the story he tells. He says, the rich young ruler explains his encounter with Jesus and his frustration that Jesus is not satisfied with the amount he has already sacrificed. Doesn't Jesus appreciate the years I've spent faithfully adhering to the law? Other people begin to comfort him. Of course, Jesus appreciates these things. He didn't literally mean all your possessions. That, would have been, that wouldn't, wouldn't be good stewardship. But Zacchaeus tries to interject, sharing some of his experience, sharing why he believes that Jesus is worth everything. But he's labeled a, a radical, maybe even considered self-righteous. Eventually, Zacchaeus becomes discouraged and leaves. In his spirit, he desires oneness with the body of believers. But there can be no fellowship while he is in the light and they are stuck in the darkness. If they're not following the same Lord, they cannot walk together. Of course, Scripture doesn't mean, and I don't think Francis Chan means, that there's something wrong with being rich or being young. But here's the crux of the matter. The rich young ruler approached the community with the values and measures of our world. He didn't want to change. As long as some of us, any of us, approach the Christian community this way with the values of our world, divisions are inevitable. If we attend Christian gatherings, but we are not ourselves transformed by the love of Christ, then we will resist unity because we will not give ourselves as members of the family of God. But when we become servants of the gospel, as the Apostle Paul says, when we give up our worldly values and our worldly ways to Jesus, then we have no problem finding unity with others who call Jesus Savior and Lord. If we want truly to be a church that is united in our adoration of Jesus Christ, if we want to see and celebrate the image of God in ourselves and in one another, then we have to begin by carefully examining our own hearts and lives. Wonder for a moment, what in my mind, my attitude 
my finances, my schedule, my priority? What have I given to Jesus, and do I trust him to direct? What have I kept back for myself to control, to do with as I decide? Paul's joy, he says, Zacchaeus' joy, your joy, my joy, comes in giving all of ourselves in favor of Christ's way. Again, our human way looks something like this. When a developer follows Jesus, it looks like things being built. When a rich person follows Jesus, it looks like big money flying around. When a sports fan follows Jesus, it looks like big events and crowds cheering and arms waving. When a politically-minded person follows Jesus, maybe it looks like a political platform. All of these things can be corrosive. Because even though we might seem busy for the kingdom, even though we might feel like we're busy with the service that we're performing for Jesus, the things that we're building for him, even the good things that we're seen to be doing and saying, the laws we're trying to change. All of those above personalities, the danger is that they're only connecting with God in one way. Their way. They're connecting with God to give what they want to give in order to make a name for themselves. Rather, than connecting with the image of God and listening to him as a servant and asking him what he wants to receive. This is the way, the second way, is the way that the Apostle Paul shows us. It's a better way. It's not a way that, lead, or that necessitates suffering or that, that leads to guilt and certainly not to shame. Paul shows us the way that comes when we fall in love with Jesus. When in every opportunity we walk into the room and we hope to see him. And we're eager to do what we can do and to give what we can give and to spend what we can spend in order to be with him, to hold his name high. Unity comes when Christians fall in love with Jesus Christ when we're eager to see him in our midst, to celebrate his image in others, those close to us, those like us, those far from us and unlike us. Paul reminds us that if we want to have unity in the church, this attitude of seeing and celebrating the image of God in ourselves and others is important, especially in the church's leaders. And so if you consider yourself a leader at River Park Church, I want to encourage you especially to listen just a few more moments as we read uh, the last few verses of Colossians 1, and then I make a few more comments before we close. So here are the last uh, couple verses of Colossians chapter 1. Paul says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Only someone who loves deeply rejoices in suffering. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant, the servant of the church, by the commission God gave me to present to you 
the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed in the Lord's, to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What is that mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, Paul says, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works within me. That last verse, the ESV translates slightly differently, and for some reason that version sticks with me. In the ESV it says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that is powerfully, that powerfully works within me. Leaders, will you join Paul in surrendering everything to the control of Jesus? Will you toil along with the Apostle Paul long enough to be transformed? Our human natures are strong. Normally, our way doesn't burn up, burn up or burn out in a flash or in a moment. We don't become gold overnight. But when we are captivated by Christ, when we're eager to see and to celebrate the image of God, in us and in others. Then we find Christ's energy powerfully at work in us. We are stronger than ever before because it's not our strength. It's his. Leaders, will you look for Christ to meet you when you bow your heads in prayer, as we will in just a moment? Will you look for Christ to meet you when you serve the children in your home and in your neighborhood? Will you look for Christ to meet you when you interact with your coworkers, when you build your budget, when you face that part of you that nobody else knows about? Is Jesus in charge of that part of your life too? Will you look up and see Christ in the face of the person, even the person you despise and the person you look down on? Imagine for a moment, if this was your approach to community. Imagine you had woken up this morning, as all of us did, and you said, I wonder in what new way I will see the image of God in my family and friends. Or maybe I, I'm excited to explore the wonders of the image of God in my fellow Christians as I worship today. Or maybe I wonder how I can point out the image of God to my coworkers and my classmates when I see them tomorrow so that they can start to see Christ in them as well. Yesterday was our leaders, leadership council retreat. In full disclosure, I don't pray that prayer or think that thought every morning, but I knew I was going to preach this sermon, and so I did Think that thought and think that prayer yesterday. Pray that prayer yesterday. Lord, help me to see your diverse image in the leaders at River Park Church. And let me tell you, what a beautiful time it was. What a powerful experience to be with uh, half a dozen or more people who care deeply and passionately 
for, for God's leading at River Park Church. The Holy Spirit was with us and in our midst like you wouldn't believe. It's impossible for us as God's people to consider division when we approach each and every interaction and situation this way. When we, have, when we come to one another again and again excited to see and to celebrate the image of God as God meets us in one another in a new way. And not just here at River Park Church, but in our neighborhoods, in our city, and beyond. This is why we're creating a new community. Why we intend to lift up the lowly, to seek justice for the oppressed, to, to make space for everyone to celebrate the fullness of Christ in us. Why? Because we see and we celebrate the image of God in others. And we want them to see and celebrate the image of God in themselves and in others too. We have to work harder to see the image of God in those who are different from us. Not because it's harder to see, but because the values of our world always work to obscure it. But we do not labor in our own strength. We toil with the apostle, struggling with all Christ's energy that he works so powerfully within us. Leaders, when Jesus takes control, takes charge of our whole lives, especially that part that you hold most dear, then we're free to see and to celebrate Christ's image everywhere, in yourself, in every person you meet. And a church that sees and celebrates God's image in every person in our midst and every person in our world, that's a united church. Let's come to God in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your great love for your people. We celebrate that you have not left us alone, that you have welcomed us into your family. As the Apostle Paul said in Galatians, you washed us and baptized us. You made us clean. Father, you clothed us with Christ so that we are one with him, a part of your family. What an honor, what a joy to be yours, to be a part of your body. Father, may we live in that joy. May we worship you as King of kings and Lord of lords, not just in this moment, but in this week and the weeks to come. Continue to change us and mold us and shape us, Lord, so that we become more and more eager to see and celebrate you at work in our world and to see and celebrate your image in everyone we meet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.